0: Hello there and welcome to the Popcorn Tennis podcast. Uh, we're back, uh, the hard court season is done, uh, the clay season is about to begin and we're here to share our thoughts about it and with us, very special guest, um, friend of popcorn and the uh, host of the amazing On The Line podcast. For the first time, Mr Jack Edward is with us. Jack, how are you doing? I'm
1: good, thank you Nick. Um, pleasure to be here, keen to talk about Monte Carlo, Miami, all
0: that jazz. Yeah. Um, Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, look, very excited to have you on. Um, So obviously, let's start a little bit with Miami, um, because obviously we haven't discussed it yet on the podcast in terms of like the outcome. Um, I know we were kind of hyping up when we had uh, John on to... Uh, Saying what we were talking about, what we thought would happen. We were expecting kind of some rematches of the Indian Wells finals to be the most likely outcome at the end of the day. Half the finalists ended up there and almost the reverse result for both cases. Um, obviously, Jack, you have already reviewed um, the um, Indian Wells um, events on your own podcast, which I highly recommend you go and listen to them. Um, Jack and Vanch excellent uh, statistical-based analysis on that. Um uh, but do you want to give us your thoughts on um the uh the finals in uh and the tournament in Miami?
1: In Miami, yeah, okay. Uh, starting with the ladies, I thought that was the match of the tournament and you know, at least that first set was so, so exciting between Kvitova and Rebecca and of course such a fan favourite, Kvita winning a tournament. I mean, who didn't want that to happen? You know, thirty-three years old, that's that's genuinely very, very impressive and shouldn't go underrated. I mean, there's not many of the older uh, women sort of leading the, the field nowadays, you know, it's a lot of sort of new get new girls coming through, obviously. So um, yeah, amazing hats off to Kvita for doing that. And uh, amazing to see her game in full flow, obviously, you know, the, the way she hits the ball. Um but first thing I gotta know, I mean. Kvitová is a, a good matchup um, against Rubikina. It's very tough for her in terms of uh, Rubikina. I mean, the rest of the tour, she excels in massive backhands cross court. You know, sort of pinning people into that that corner. Not not in terms of consistency, but just the power she gets going cross court with that backhand. I think it's so underrated that shot, and it's it's part of the the way she was able to get to the Indian Wells title, obviously and. As soon as she gets into that play, she wins the the, the point so often because it's such a big shot. I guess Kvitova, that lefty forehand, I mean, it, there was just no joy. And and going down the line for Rubikina with that flat shot over the highest part of the net, so much more difficult for her to do. And then you could see how, how uncomfortable she felt playing Rubikina. Such a massive part of that as well. Kvitova's lefty sliding serve. Rubikina's been returning so, so well. But as soon as there was a, a little bit of cut on the ball, away from her backhand, it was so much harder for her to get any purchase in that shot. And You could tell, you know, the difference between a great returner and a good returner is so much more difficult for players that aren't great returners when they're on the stretch. I
0: Rebecca did very well to keep herself in it, keep it competitive and keep that tie break on a real knife edge. Um, So she fell away a bit in the second set. But, um, yeah, I I think, um, you know, she could have easily been had the advantage had she played a couple of points slightly differently, slightly better. Um, The margins were pretty fine. But um, and I agree with you, like on the, the matchup with Kvitova is a nightmare for her. But I think when Kvitova is playing well, she's a nightmare matchup for pretty much everyone else on tour. It's just that Kvitova playing well happens a minority of the tournaments She plays it. Um, but she's worthy top 10. She's back in the top 10. Very much a uh, an exciting place to be, um, uh, to have her back and have three Grand Slam champions in the top 10 now um, with uh, Svitolina and Sabalenka. and oh, no, four with Rabakina. Um, so, yeah. um, yeah, so WTA is starting to build a solid um a solid a much more solid uh, set of faces that we can expect to see regular titles from. Yeah. Um so that's I think that's an exciting um situation. Um Shihiri, what did you make of the uh the men's final? Um it was pretty predictable for those who watched that matchup.
2: Uh you know, all the previous times I played was 5-0 for Medvedev going into the final. Uh, he seemed to be the physically fresher player, having not been challenged at all. Um, and, you know, Sinner obviously had to come through the likes of Rublev. It was a pretty straightforward match. But, um, yeah, he did go all the way against Alcaraz. That was an amazing match. You know, it's it's never a disappointment when cool. he goes to play. Um but yeah, what I made of it was, unfortunately, Sinner wasn't 100%, uh, but Medvedev was just you know, playing really well, they picked up right where he left off um, in Indian Wells, of course, sort of a no-show in that final, but then uh, I think he, although he was really error-prone in the first half of the first set, or first um, initial stages of the match, he Sort of played his way back into it, I and mean, then he was—he looked like a uh, like the better player physically, and he also looked like he was really comfortable with that matchup, especially since Sinner wasn't really doing much different to try and dismantle Medvedev, um, which the likes of say Alcaraz and Tsitsipas have been doing against him, uh, Tsitsipas especially. But yeah, other than that, I think that was a, it was a pretty nice win for Medvedev, you know, to win a big title for the first time since his U.S. Open triumph, um, and. I don't know how, what that means for him going to the clay season, except for the fact that this is probably the best form he's been in going into the clay season, um, whether or not that translates to better results in the, uh, clay season. I mean, he hasn't really played a full clay season, uh, since say 2019. And he was at the time, he wasn't really a top 10 player not the, uh, not, he's, he was not the Medvedev that we know today. Um, So it'll be really interesting because last year he played all of uh, two tournaments, one of which was Geneva, lost in the first round to Gasquet, Uh, still made the fourth round at RG. 2021, he, I think, yeah, he lost before the quarterfinals in Madrid, lost in the uh, opening round, his opening match in Rome, but then still made it to the quarterfinals, beating some really good players. So I still think that what I want to expect, what I should expect from him this season is hopefully he gets a title. Um, I'm not sure where it'll come, but I think he should probably aim for that at this point. Uh, And also, you know, probably try to get to the um, semifinals of, you know, one or two uh, of the upcoming three Masters events. And if he is playing pretty well, I think Madrid should be pretty uh, friendly to him in terms of the conditions and in terms of the kind of game he plays. uh, Does reward... um, you know, players who uh, who tend to serve well, uh, players who tend to also be pretty um, uh, fast-paced players such as Medvedev is. um, Someone like Zverev has had quite a bit of success there. So, you know, that's, I guess, a reference point. Um, But yeah, that's what I would expect from Medvedev going this clay season.
0: I mean, would Madrid still have the same issues for... Medvedev, as he's found with, like, because I think his main issue with clay is the movement on it and the sliding. And sure, I I think Madrid, you're right, might have the better chance, but he's still going to struggle with that aspect there, regardless of the altitude.
1: Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, it depends on matchups in in quite a lot of cases. You know, there's players that Medvedev should be able to beat on clay, but I'm looking at Monte Carlo, for example. I know we'll flesh this out in a bit. You've got Zverev in the third round, Sonigo in the second round, that sort of matchup's okay. You know, you you can you can win three points against Sonigo. You're you're not going to have to grind anything out necessarily. Zverev though, that's tough. That's that's a really rough matchup for him because you know you're going backhand to backhand. We saw what it was like in, in Indian Wells that crazy three uh, uh, setter that he had against Zverev. There was loads of really long points, and Medvedev, Medvedev was practically slow balling Zverev. So to be able to do that on on clay is unlikely um, if he's not sliding particularly well. That's what he was saying to Israel Savara, right? That's what, what their discussion was. Um, but, you know, you can win three points against a lot of players. Zverev might not get through as well. You know, Batista go in the second round, Buplik as well. If maybe they've had Sonigo, then Buplik, then even Berettini looking forwards. There's a few matchups there that he could do pretty well in, so it's you know it's not like he couldn't do well at Monte Carlo again or any other clay court tournament for that matter. Um, just add, and just that, and adding to what you were saying, the Miami final there, Strickeri, uh, for me it was a case of Medvedev wins three points in a serve, Sinner does not win three points in a serve in that matchup. Percentage wise, the chances of Sinner beating Medvedev are so unlikely until he can improve his serve. A little bit because if Nevada is making Sinner redline every single service game, chances are he's gonna, I mean he's gonna come out on top like nine times out of ten. So until Sinner can get a better slider in particular, that sliding serve out wide is still not that good. He's got plenty of pace on it. All the changes that Sinner's made to his serve, you know, the bigger base and his knees. Um I think he's adjusted the toss a little bit as well. It's all adding pace to the serve but he's not got that part of the one that's short in the service box that draws your opponent off the court. And without that, I mean, Medvedev's going to eat you up every single time. I, I, he knows where you're going to serve as well. I don't know if you saw that little piece you <laughs> were saying about Quentin Halley. So when he played him, he counted how many times he served out wide. He knows where you're going to serve. And if you don't have that serve, you're toast. So Medvedev played a, a, a great match. Sinner, some work to do before he
0: can excel in that matchup, I think. And Sinner's, it's interesting, I wanted to ask about Sinner, actually, because here's the thing, we we know he's got an epic rivalry with Alcaraz, and they played the men's match of the tournament in that semi-final, Um, certainly the one I enjoyed the most. Um, But against the other kind of top players at the minute, Sinner's not got a great record. Um, Djokovic and Medvedev, he struggles against. Um, He struggles against Rafa. Um, I mean, he doesn't struggle against Djokovic and Nadal, but um, this sort of elite, and I think it comes down to what you were talking about, Jack, with his serve, and he probably struggles with those who return just that little bit better than most of the tour. Um, He also has a negative head to head against Stefano Sitsi pass, which I can't quite wrap my head around why. Um, But what does he, but it's very clear that, you know, he's. He's a top class player. I mean, like, you don't, you're not top class and can go toe to toe with Alcaraz in the way that he can. Um, But what is it that he needs to do that uh, can improve, that means he can improve against everybody else?
1: It's it's still deserved. You know, he's not winning anywhere near enough three points to win these matchups. All of these matches, I'm looking at the ones against Sitsipas, You know, he had that five setter this year in Australia. He managed to beat him in Rotterdam. There's not much in it. And sets the going to win three points on his serve all day, every day. You know what I mean? Until you can get that percentage up just a few notches, you're probably going to lose those top 10 matches. Uh, and his serve is getting better. It's getting there. He's really good under pressure. He's got such a good pacey, flat delivery. So when he's facing great points in the ad court, you know, you can pick a spot either wide or tee with a flat serve because it's much easier to have a flat serve wide in the ad court than it is. And then... The juice court, or you can hit it flat, but you're less likely to win the point than somebody with a slider. Um, anyway, you know, until he gets that, particularly in that matchup against Sitsapass, you know, the rallies are about 50 50, you're not going to win the match most times. Against somebody like Rafa, looking at their head to head, I mean, it's all been on clay. But that's just a Rafa on clay thing, I'm pretty sure. You know, if he played him in a hard court, I would probably say it's about 50-50. You know, even if not a little bit centre-favoured nowadays, obviously, with question marks over Rafa. But Rafa's not winning many three points in his serve either. Uh, and from the back of the, the court on a hard court, yeah, you know, it could go either way. So there's not much in it. He's got to improve his serve. His returning's getting incredible, obviously. And again, you know, that return kind of gets negated against players who can serve as big as Medvedev. I don't know if you saw that in the man final scene I was seeing in the... Uh, podcast analysis of it Medvedev absolutely smashed his second serves in I mean amazing sliding serves respecting Sinner's ability to return so he never gave him a chance basically you know so against the best players they're not going to give you a chance to, to tee off on the ball so until that happens until the serve gets better Nick, he's not winning those matchups nine times out of ten.
2: yeah I mean I'm a Sinner fan myself and I can already disagree with everything that Jack said um <laughs> And also talking about the matchups. Yeah, I do agree with you, Nick. I just don't understand why he's two and five against Sitsipas, especially after watching their uh, match in Rome 2020. He, he dominated and we should have won in straight sets, but he still ended up winning 6 1, 6 7, 6 2. And it was not even close. And uh, Sitsipas is very really comfortable on the surface, as we know. Um, and then the Australian Open, I mean, I don't know what Sinner was doing for the first two sets. He was just not clutch enough, so many breakpoints. Uh, you know, slipping by, um, especially in the fourth set where he had all, like, I, I think he had a break point every single uh, Pass service game after he got the break. So it is pretty important to not sort of give your opponent uh, that advantage once, you know, you, you still up a break, you have the momentum, but if you let them get comfortable in the service games, you just don't have that much of a momentum, even though you're likely to take the match to five sets, like, you want to look at what Djokovic did against pass and against Sinner in those matches in which he came back from two sets down. Uh, obviously, the third set was, you know, pretty tight. He had that one break of serve, but then he, you know, jumped to a double break advantage in the fourth set. So both matches. So that is how you sort of snatch any kind of momentum away from the opponent. And Sinner was, just wasn't doing that really well. Four of 26 uh, on break points. That was, that really hurt him, uh, I think. And I mean, of course, he played excellently in Rotterdam. That was not really close between him and Pass. But um, other than that, yeah, I mean, even against Zverev, he has those matches where, I mean, uh, apart from that RG uh, fourth round, which Sinner won, Zverev has been mostly comfortable against Sinner. I mean, they played a really close match in Monte Carlo last year. But other than that, I think Zverev is a, another player Sinner, you know, tends to struggle against. It's... There's There are two players in the top 10 who you can expect Sinner to look like himself against. It's Alcaraz and Rublev at the moment. Of course, Djokovic as well. I mean, you just never know, right? He he gave him a really stern test in Wimbledon. Uh, but yeah, I do agree that, you know, sort of um, the weak link for Sinner is like a lot of these matches against these top 10 players. Uh, players currently in the top 10. Uh, that being said... Um this this could be a good chance for Sinner to probably beat Djokovic because we know that Djokovic is just, you know, has not gotten anything going in Monte Carlo since since 2015, which is the last time he won here. Uh, I think he's made the quarterfinals since probably only once, if I'm not mistaken. uh so it, it is a good chance for him to, you know, maybe beat Djokovic here. Uh he he made the quarterfinals last year as well. He uh, played very really close in the quarterfinal. Uh, so, yeah, I think a lot of people say he's not really comfortable on play. I disagree because his first big results came on the surface. Um, so, yeah, I, I do think he definitely can play on play. He's made the fourth round, or oh, like the second week at RG3 consecutive editions as well. So, yeah, I am definitely, um, you know, looking forward to see how, uh, because Sinu is number four at the, in the race at the moment, and he is looking healthy for most part, which is a really good sign. So that's probably the first... Uh, box he should check, and then I think everything else will follow.
0: Who's saying oh. that Sinner's not good on clay? Because that's yeah, that's not a oh, take yeah. I quite agree a few it. people,
2: I mean, I did tweet about uh Sinner winning Monte Carlo, and then I had people in my replies on Twitter saying that oh, you know, Sinner on clay, I forget about it, especially considering you know the field. Um, well, I the only reason I you know felt that optimistic was because I mean, because of these withdrawals. You know, a lot of big names not in the field. And that being said, Sinner did beat Alcaraz qual- comprehensively in that Umak final last year. I, so I, I don't really understand where people are coming from. And it's safe to say to that right. Alcaraz right. is quite comfortable on clay. Maybe he's better on hard court at the moment. But uh, I think as time progresses, clay would probably be end up being his most preferred and probably best surface statistically as well.
1: Yeah, I, I still think I think Alcaraz will probably prefer hard courts as his career develops, as his serve gets a little better. The speed of his shots definitely good for fast hard courts. He's still good on clay, you know. He's got an amazing kicker to set up points out wide and stuff, and I mean that can be brutal, brutal to to live with. We saw that against uh, Djokovic in Madrid last year. It'll be interesting to see how it develops. You know, the serve might never get to a point where you're talking, you know, about Djokovic. Uh, Daniel Medvedev or anything like that. So, Sinner on Clay, though, I mean, Sinner is amazing on Clay, I think. It, it's, you know, such a return centric surface. Any second serve that Sinner gets is going to get absolutely eaten even against, you know, top 10 players. So, I think it would be very interesting to see how he does at Monte Carlo, especially as his returning has just been getting better and better as his career has developed. Very small side note, by the way, on Tsitsipas. This is jumping around a bit. But Tsitsipas' ability to save breakpoints is like totally, totally underrated. Who in the top 50 has saved the most breakpoints percentage-wise this year? Stefano Tsitsipas. Higher than John Isner. I mean, he's saving 77% in his breakpoints. Ridiculous. The guy's good under pressure. People always think he's a bit flaky, but no, he's clutch. Tsitsipas is clutch under pressure. Yeah, and, no doubt.
2: I think I definitely think he is the clutchest amongst him, Medvedev, and swear. I, I don't really think that's a debate, especially considering how many breakpoints he tends to save. And I mean, it's it's probably love forty or 15-40, and then like forty five seconds later he's held serve. That's that's pretty much how it is most of the time. I've not I've not really seen that from Medvedev, and probably not and, even as very needs to have a really good day for him too. I mean, when he's having a really good day, he's hardly facing breakpoints. So I, I don't think that's sort of a moot discussion. Uh, Medvedev, yeah. yeah, sometimes when he's serving well, he I mean, especially against um, Zverev at Indian Wells, he was saving breakpoints uh, in the most obscene fashion. So he <laughs> tends to have those days, but just, he's just not as good as Tsitsipas uh, in that department. Medvedev can be a,
1: a little bit like, you know, I'm not gonna think about what I'm doing at this breakpoint. Let's just dive into it and see what happens. And yeah, I mean, there good. was that the second Hard. serve
2: against Sinner when he was down match point uh, when they played yeah. in Turin in 2021. Yeah, big, I think that one worked out, But Jesus yeah, crazy! I mean, it was it was it was a complete coin flip. Either he, he, you know, that serve goes long or hits the net and he's lost the match. Right, so you just never know. Uh, yeah, that 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 tends to happen. But Sitzipas he's a lot more. He has a lot more clear mind, and like he knows what to do when he's under pressure. He's he's one of the most dangerous players, in my opinion, uh, to play against when you're ahead in the score.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. Are you guys keen to dive into the Monte Carlo draw a little bit, or am I jumping ahead? Yeah, I think a
0: little we bit? can do that. I think we're kind of there. I think we're kind of there already. Um, we've we've touched on yeah. it a little bit. Um. I find I'm going to say this now. I think Monte Carlo is the hardest tournament to predict um, in general of any of the Masters, one thousands, because you don't re- you don't have a clear idea of clay momentum. Um, you yeah, got an idea Pat, of sort of.
1: Paris first next surely. Paris is just like I mean, what happens in
2: Paris is just mental. You you still have hard. Djokovic, who is pretty much almost, almost always the favorite there. Monte Carlo's just. Okay ever since Nadal's been out of sorts in that particular tournament, I mean, he's not played the last couple of editions. Uh, this yeah. edition included, of course. But even when he does play, it's like, yeah, he, he's out in the quarters of the semis, you know, both of them being pretty bad losses. Um, yes, for Nini and Rublev, he sort of looked like 2015 Nadal, in both of those losses. Um, but yeah, that, that's another reason, like when you have Nadal out of the, out of the picture, you just don't know who uh Will come through, right? So I do tend to agree with Nick, and then Ed, likewise with uh, you know Paris and Djokovic. Once Novak's not there, it just I mean, I guess yeah. now you have you know quite a few hardcore players who can take the chance and probably win the tournament. Yeah, Medvedev winning it, uh, and Hachino winning it as well. You know, pretty recently. Oh, but, Jacks. Um, all Jack's oh, yeah. I mean, we. <laughs> I, I just forgetting about that yeah i don't know what that meant um in the, um, the big picture at all because that just meant that he would qualify for the atp finals he made the semis and since then he's just not done anything relevant on the singles court um yeah. so yeah that, that was really bizarre um and you know, hopefully, th- th- thankfully, Nori winning Indian Wells is not nearly as bizarre. Nori is probably his, he's pretty much established himself as one of the best players on tour at the moment. His ranking doesn't really suggest so, but still, you know, he's always uh, going to be a contender at most of the tournaments. He did beat Alcaraz to win Rio. So, uh, yeah. yeah, looking at the draws, where has Bublik in the first round, he could he and Medvedev could play in the third round or round of 16. That could be interesting, especially considering their Indian Wells match. Probably Zverev, you know, would fancy his chances to get Medvedev back, especially since it's a surface. I mean, um, yeah, Med- I don't know what to make of Medvedev's chances here. You just the last time he played was 2019; he made the uh, semis. He's not played since, so you just never know, right? I mean, theoretically, this should be his worst uh, Masters event on clay, theoretically and statistically. Uh, but it's not. It's his best. Uh, he beat Sitsipas and Djokovic back-to-back to make the semis in 2019, so you just never know. Uh, I mean, uh, if you factor in him being a Monte Carlo resident, then maybe it does make some sense. Maybe he's probably uh, gotten a chance to practice on those courts more than the others. I have no idea. Just that, that a it?
1: crazy revelation there, to, to you when you were saying that? Mevidev is the
2: last person to be Sitsipas in Monte Carlo. Yeah, exactly. That that just <laughs> makes no sense whatsoever. Uh, so yeah, I think if Sitsipas' shoulder is fine, which it seems okay in his practice, we'll only know more uh, you know, during his first press conference. Uh, yeah. again, he's a he's a contender. Um he 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 really likes these courts. Um he has a pretty decent draw from the looks of it. Um, he, um,
1: yeah, so I, I can see Choric. Chorich, obviously historically, has been a very difficult matchup for him. I believe he's now won three against him, uh, having lost his first three meetings. But he did so so well in the United yeah. Cup
2: to the stem choric but
1: Stephen even. But Chorich's form is
2: terrible. I mean, he could lose. Yeah, to and he doesn't really fancy the surface as much either. So I I don't see that. I mean, unless something mental plays its part for Sitsipas. I don't see an upset over there. Um, I mean,
1: we, we were just talking about Sitsipas being like the clutchest player on the tour he has a great points. I don't think there's any question of, is he up for this mentally? Is, mm-hmm, I think exactly. True. Yeah. Is I mean, it, you just
2: like all of those matches just tend to have some bizarre aspects. So that's the only uh, reason why I even felt the need to mention it. Um, obviously a U.S. Open match. We all know what happened there. Cincinnati was also bizarre. Cepas was 4-1 up in the first set. And he loses in the tiebreaker, 7-0. And then he's pretty much a no-show from there. Uh, Vienna, again, I think he was a set-up and he lost. Um, United Cup, again, he should have won in straight sets. Ended up coming from a break behind in the third to win 7-5. Yeah, that was, was a great match, actually. It was, really was really it good. was, for sure. Um, and I think, yeah, Tsitsipas played really well in that tournament. Um, yeah, as, as you see, it might not even happen.
1: Like, there's a high chance that you can get through. The biggest threat for me for Tsitsipas in his quarter, I think, is Dimitrov. Dimitrov mm-hmm. is a fantastic player of Monte Carlo, and we're due yeah. to Dimitrov crazy tournament. You know, it's been a while I think 100. percent You could see Dimitrov get into the quarters, and it could be. Oh yeah,
2: difficult. I remember last year where he had match point against Pass in Rome. Um, so yeah. it, that was that was again another bizarre match because Steph was serving for the match and had match point 5-4 in the second set. It was rinse and repeat of the Madrid clash, and then all of a sudden Dimitrov has match points in the third, and then Pass ends up winning at seven six in the uh, decider. But, I'm pretty. Yeah,
1: Dimitrov was so close to making the final of uh, Monte Carlo last year as well. He played a really good match against
2: davidovich vikina Oh, and yeah. He did. he did make the semis last year, too. He beat Rude, right? Yeah, he did. Yeah, yeah. yeah he played fantastic. Yeah, I keep forgetting it's about that. Awesome. And he, he made the semis, but obviously he had Gofan in the uh, quarterfinal. And, yeah, I yeah, lost pretty handily to Nadal. And 2013, how can we forget that match against Rafa where, you know, he pushed him to 6-4 and third. Um, yeah, Dimitrov was barely 21 years old 10 years ago um, so it's crazy to think about um, <laughs> yeah insane I just don't know where that time went but yeah Sitsipas uh, there's one player I'm really ambiguous about at the moment is Kasper Ruud I mean I think just, just probably just takes the court soon against Sebastian Baez or is that match on the way i It sure started, it's,
0: um, they've exchanged breaks in the first two games I've got it on behind uh-huh. me um, okay. And, uh, yeah, it's currently 2-1 with serve to Root, um, 15-0. Yeah,
2: Some of the I have guys round, is winning but... this one, actually.
0: So do I.
1: Some of the first rounds, honestly. So in Root's section, just got to talk about the fact that Andy and Alex de Menor are playing each other in the first round. <laughs> and you've also got Alejandro de Vidoj. Potential <laughs>
2: uh, four-hour match right there.
1: Yeah. I, I, well, you know, we'll see... We have no idea how either player is going to play on clay. De was great last year in clay, actually. Andy, obviously, looking at the hip, is less of an issue this year the way he's played for the first few months. But historically, with the hip, he has had a lot of problems recovering from his forehand corner. Mm -hmm. I I don't see that. I I think that will still be an issue, to be honest. So I I expect De to win that. It would be great to see him get through, obviously. Uh, he did so well in Madrid, actually, last year. I'm pretty sure, Andy, um, or a couple of wins. Well, you had Dimitro so- and
2: Shelton in the first round. I don't know what that means. I mean, Shelton looked pretty amateur against Dimitro, if I'm being honest. I mean, the team, if I'm being honest, uh, in Estoril. He got off to a great start, and he looked like, okay, you know, he can probably adapt to the surface. But he was just, I mean, he had no answer to what the team was coming up with since then. I'm expecting that. Games for the rest I- of the
1: I'm expecting that against Dimitrov as well. Uh, you know, Yeah, that um, could happen. He's never played. Dimitrov is a Monte Carlo specialist, honestly. His second serve is so effective there. It just can't be attacked. And, you know, actually the slice is great there
2: too. Um, yeah, it's going to be... If tough there's on one shit. player... I'm sorry. Yeah, if there's one player whose chances I'm liking to make it to the quarters, it's Wawrinka. If he gets past Griechpur, he has Fritz. In the second round, honestly, Fritz on clay, I, I just don't know, um, you know, if, if he can get anything out of the surface with his game style. And then obviously it's Tiafo as well, who, I I mean, he's such a hit or miss on clay, really. Um, his more consistent and best results have obviously come on the other two surfaces, um, and then, of course, Dimitrov and, you know, we have that Wawrinka-Dimitrov rivalry. And back in 2018 and 19, when they played each other in consecutive weeks or uh, consecutive tournaments. But, yeah, I mean, if, if Stan... And Stan obviously got a wild card here. So if he's feeling it, he's, he's playing some good tennis this season so far. And then obviously played some good tennis uh, towards the back end of last season, beating Medvedev and Rude during the indoor hardcourt season. You just never know. He probably... You know, we probably see
0: him in the quarterfinals. Uh, whilst we're looking at the bottom half of the draw, um, I'm looking at it now because I, I, I kind of see what you're you're saying. I, yeah, I think Sitsi has got a reasonable path. Dibitrov could be a threat in the quarter. I think he's the most likely to be a threat, but I I in reality I don't see him getting charged before the semis. And then who do I think is gonna to get to the semi he's gonna fight in the semis? Um, I think it might be Andre Rublev, um, who is a Monte Carlo finalist and isn't bad on clay and has been a thorn in Pass's side. So I'm not going to say why was going to win the whole thing, but I'm going to say that watch out for him because he likes it in Monte Carlo. Um, mm-hmm. And I would say he's got a decent chance against the people in his half of the draw.
1: Yeah, I think uh, Sitsipas does everything just a little bit tidier than on clay, you know, certain and, uh, forehand. And actually he's got a bit of variety to boot as well. You know, like he can uh, keep up. He can probably bring Rublev in to the net if he wanted to. He did that so well against Ere last year in Monte Carlo. Um, I think he... I mean, it was free and free, right? It was, like, it was pretty comfortable last year when he played Rublev for two years ago,
2: even in the final. Yeah, it was a couple of years ago. Yeah, it was three and three. It was not close at all.
0: I suppose I'm thinking of the Hamburg final they played in 2020, which was very different conditions. So it's going to be very much dependent on what kind of the weather's going to be like in mm-hmm. Monte Carlo. But that Hamburg final was... Really tight, and Rublev edged it. Um, Yeah, Tsitsipas served
2: for it, and then he loses three games in a row, and then loses the final. Um, And it's so it's such a swing matchup, really. You just, you know, when Tsitsipas wins on clay, that is, it's been pretty straightforward. RG twenty twenty, Monte Carlo twenty twenty one. Those are like the biggest matches they played on the surface. Um, On hard courts, it's either been Rublev. Who's probably if Rublev is one, it's pretty comfortable, or comprehensive. If Sitsipas is one, it's pretty close. Um, they played in Astana as well, if I'm not mistaken, last year. And Sitsipas came from a set down, beat him. Um, so yeah, that that could be really interesting if that matchup happens. But what I what I'm hoping for personally is Wawrinka against Sitsipas in the quarters. They've not played in four years, and we all know which match they played when they did play was the RG fourth round, 2019. <laughs> Wawrinka winning 8-6 in the fifth, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. Um, that was an amazing match. And I would love to see uh, and a repeat of that. Muzetti would probably get Djokovic in the third round. That's a match he would like to have, all things considered. On clay, would be, I would say.
1: They had that match at RG. And it was fantastic quality. I mean, the way they said it played that day was insane. But he's just been so flaky recently. I, yeah, that's true. Keczmanovic easily could win that match. I, I just don't trust Musetti at the moment. Uh, yeah, that's true. Show. I mean,
2: as we speak, which is in the semi-final of Estoril. And Musetti in yeah. Marrakesh, who lost to Alexander Muller, 6-4 in the third. I did watch that match point. Very dodgy drop shot from Musetti. Nothing on it. And then loses from there. So, yeah, I mean... That's a, that's a bad loss. Miller's a,
1: he's a solid player, but he's not even... Mm-hmm. Much, he's not much Or, like you know, he definitely would have made the city overheat himself. There's a lot of undercom from, from the Italian at the moment. I, I don't trust him to get there. I think Novak gets to the quarters and we see Sinner, center, the Sinner-Novak matchup that we, we want and 100% could see Sinner winning that. I think it's
2: about 50%. Yes, Hmm? Yeah, exactly. And as we speak, there's another player who Sinner has struggled against. It's Hubert Hurkacz, who we could get in the third round. Yeah. Hurkacz yeah. um, beat him. Hurkacz wins that, to be fair.
0: Unlikely. I think hmm, On this surface,
2: it. yeah, unlikely. Um, although Hurkacz
0: did do okay Monte Carlo last year. Like, he, he did well he, in the he play, play season altogether
2: last year. He made the quarters in Monte Carlo and Madrid. Romi lost to Gofan in two tiebreakers, I think it was in the third round, if I'm not mistaken, or second round, was, my bad. Um, and he did beat Gofan all the way um, to the fourth round at RG, where he lost to Rude. Um, that was a pretty tightly contested four setter. So he did do pretty well on clay last year. I just, Zapata Mariah, it was not a bad I- loss. It's just, it just got to the point
1: where his serve is like transcendent on any. It, it doesn't matter what surface it is, like his serve is just insane. So it, yeah, it is, exactly. it's pretty much just that, to be the honest. The weak no, link obviously
2: the was... forehand, but still, um, you know, he can get so many free points off his serve, regardless of surface, like you mentioned. And that is also why he's so good on grass. You know, one Hale made the semis in Wimbledon. Uh, probably the. Uh, he he to... might drop. Yeah, the only players probably can play on the surface from their, their generation. Um Schwartzman, I don't know where Schwartzman is either. Um just, you know, all things considered, he played uh in out should have won that second set, lost um 10-8 in the tiebreaker, but still I mean, I, I guess the only the only way to revive Schwartzman is to make him play in a doll somewhere. And then, you know, all of a sudden uh he's back and forth. <laughs> But yeah, he plays Goffan. I don't know what happens there really. That'll be interesting. Um,
0: Goffin's not really informed. I don't I, when was the last time Gofan played? He's pulled out of a few tournaments recently. He might be coming yeah, in a bit was cold. Just,
2: was it the Australian Open the player tournament after
0: that? I'm not sure. I would back Schwartzmann in that one to be honest. I think Schwartzman's got a little bit more. Uh, momentum And and speaking of momentum, I actually wanted to ask you both uh, a question, kind of going back to Novak Djokovic. Mm-hmm. Does momentum matter to Djokovic in Monte Carlo? Because if you think about the last two times he's played, he's underperformed a little bit due to having a massive break, um, yep. which he's had another one again that's kind of been enforced, self-imposed, depends on your perspective. Um, yeah, let's not go but... there. <laughs> no, we're not going there. There's enough of um, the
1: discourse, that, yeah.
0: Um, but, um, you know, and the last time he said he got to the, the quarterfinals in Monte Carlo was when he lost to Medvedev, who, and I'd be interested to know, what I never saw that match. I just remember seeing the result and going, what on earth happened there? What was it that Medvedev did to Djokovic that day? Or was Djokovic having a bad day? Um, but yeah, I would say, does momentum match to Djokovic in Monte Carlo? And if so, is he, is this the reason we're talking about him potentially being vulnerable to Sinner in the quarters, or even maybe someone like a, Zverev or Rune in the semis.
2: Yeah, I mentioned that um, this is Sinner's best chance to beat Djokovic uh, if there was one. I mean, obviously, Sinner played Djokovic uh, in the second round 2021, a completely different Sinner today, obviously, but Novak won that pretty comfortably 6'4, 6'2. And then obviously, he went on to lose to Dan Evans, which again, another inex- inexplicable loss. Um, but yeah, Dan Evans, Medvedev, Wesley, you know, these are players you you just, on play especially, you just cannot, like, wrap your head around it, right? Um, For Kina, I mean, that was not really a bad loss, but then we saw some patterns um, in that loss and that loss against Rublev as well, you know, just completely fading away in the decider. I hope that doesn't happen. Um, obviously, he didn't play the Australian Open last year. He just played all of three matches going into the clay season. Um, but yeah, I mean, he also, one thing to be said, he does look a um, bit more muscular in the arms for this clay season. Uh, I did watch his practice. He's hitting the ball with additional topspin on both the forehand and the backhand. And especially, you know, the backhand down the line uh, with additional topspin, that is a shot you would hit specifically against a left-handed player. So, you know, you can get the cue. Um, and yeah, I so look, he looks good in practice. Um, I, I still, I mean, there's nothing to be alarmed about if he goes out early and by early, I still mean quarterfinals and as the top seed that's still, and as with someone of Novak Djokovic's stature, that's still early in a tournament. Um, I, I still won't be alarmed at all because even last year I wasn't alarmed even after he lost to Rublev in uh, Belgrade, because then he, he plays that epic semifinal against Alcaraz in Madrid and then he wins Rome uh obviously comes falls just short against Rafa at r g so all in all, really good clay season, and then since then he's lost what just two matches on tour um so yeah, safe to say that what happens in the first couple of tournaments you know we cannot really paint a picture as to what Novak's clay season would be like um that being said, this is also probably his best chance to lift his third title here, considering Alcaraz and Nadal not being there. Um, would have been interesting, Nadal was in the draw and probably, you know, had Nadal in the third round, something like that. Uh, but, yeah, that uh, I just don't know how far he goes. But, yeah, I uh, if I were to predict, I would uh, have Sinner beating him in the quarterfinals.
1: Yeah, I think I'm thinking Sinner beats him in the quarterfinals as well. Honestly, like, every time Djokovic has played Monte Carlo since the Serbs got better um, so talking like 2018 post 2018 sort of thing he I, I watching him it looks like he struggles with the forehand a bit for the first tournament he plays on clay and then after that you know it really ramps up he, he gets a lot more comfortable on it and uh, we saw that in Madrid last year you know he had a dodgy Monte Carlo and then when he got to Madrid he was playing fantastically um, off the forehand I mean just looking at serve stats for example you know the last one, two, three, four, or what well, the last three matches he's played at Monte Carlo at least, that's a loss to David. Fukina, a loss to Evans, and a win over center, all of them he's winning under 60% of his first serves, which is is low. I mean, that's very low for Djokovic. And he's used to to getting three points off his serve for, you know, 80 percent of the rest of the season, he rocks up in, on clay. That makes sense. The patterns of play are going to be different. He needs to use the cross forehand a lot more often than he would in any other sort of surface. It's difficult to just jump onto the you know the tournament and and play that way. It's not that easy. So yeah, I I I think that's what's happening. I'm expecting him to be a bit rusty again because it's quite a big transition. At the same time, you know he's not actually been playing that much. So maybe he's a plenty of thing to practice. That could be a factor. I mean, he could play, you know, Prime Djokovic out of nowhere. I still am going to side with studio and say Sinner beats him in the course.
0: So does that mean we're leaning towards potentially it being a sinner pass final in Monte Carlo? That would, would you good, put, Yeah. Would you put someone else on, on What
2: it? happens with Medvedev, really? Um... And then Runa, how Runa, to look past. Runa's come
1: onto the, radar. Runa's come onto the radar for sure. Mm. Yeah, yeah, Runa,
2: yeah, yeah, Runa, yeah. Medvedev. Um, again, I still have my doubts obviously about Medvedev making it past Zverev. Is Zverev gets that, but then obviously Zverev is Bublik, a player he's played twice, not one a set against. Um Bublik on Clay, though, so different story altogether. Um but if, yeah. there's, if there's one person A's claim more than Medvedev, just thought Alexander good <laughs> Right. Um but yeah, I mean, if Medvedev beats Verv, then I will have to think about what you know, how far he progresses. But Medvedev and Rune, another you know, top 10 matchup that we have not seen yet, and I would love to watch it, honestly. Um but uh, rune like from what we know so far looks like the more comfortable player on the surface. Um not better necessarily of course Aruna is just nineteen Medvedev's 27, but as far as like playing you know, playing on the surface because I guess Aruna just like likes to play on clay more than Medvedev does, if that's safe to say. Um, yeah, I mean we could do. have all things considered if you're if you're considering serious contenders, then yes, you know, it's should see pass in the final. Why not, right? That that would be a cracker, hopefully. Sinner, much like Rublev, in that sense is not. I mean, made it to two big finals, not won a set neither of them. I just hope that's not the case with him. I do think he's a better player than Rublev. However, uh, I you know I I don't have a reference point uh, to look at and say, okay, Sinner does turn up for these big matches because uh, he's not really punched much above his weight, if that makes sense. Like most of his top 10 wins at this point or top five wins have come against one player that's Carlos Alcaraz. And obviously he's enjoyed success against Rublev, even Pass a couple of times. But uh, yeah, you know, I, I would lean towards pass if that match happens. Um, and, you know, if, a hat-trick in Monte Carlo, that would just be... Who, apart from Nadal, has done that, I'm not sure. Like that, that's uncharted territory for most players.
1: I mean, a hat trick in Monte Carlo would be. I don't know if people are going to underappreciate that or underrate that. They probably season. will.
2: I mean, they're all about it being a uh, non manual. I mean, in, well, doing, right. the bounce. doing the bounce
1: is massive in in and of itself. It is. I mean, it is. Yeah.
0: That's huge. It doesn't happen. So at so every yeah. yeah. Well, it's, it's rare enough at a Masters that someone will win that will successfully defend. Um, a yeah, 1, I mean, there title. is a
2: reason. Exactly. There is a reason why a lot of players... I mean, Nadal is like the massive outlier. He doesn't even come into the discussion here. A lot of players struggle to back up their results at this particular tournament because hard-court season is so long. They're just coming into play. The conditions are not... Uh, especially considering the breeze um, uh, uh, that the players experience in Monte Carlo uh, from the you know French Riviera and whatnot, they tend to struggle. Um, they're most prone to early upsets there. Um, especially the likes of Djokovic. you see, and Nadal also off late is just completely underperformed. So it is impressive, you know, and to like string matches consecutively. I mean, you only beat who you face. It's not really he Pass's fault that he's the most consistent amongst the rest of the field at that event. So if he does, it is impressive enough already, but you know, three-peat like a hat-trick especially at a big event. I think that that would just, you know, really be impressive.
0: Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think it would be, it would be. Um, okay, we've talked quite a bit about article. I think we know where we kind of stand with it. Um, uh, I just wanted to, before we um, before we kind of wrap up and, and talk about other things, um, I'm curious to know, particularly Jack, um, what kind of storylines are you interested in potentially uh, unfolding on the WTA side over the clay season? We've got a couple of tournaments happening at the minute, one in Charleston, um, one in uh, Bogota, and then the European clay season proper starts. But as we know, WTA doesn't have many clay court events and not not at a speed that's relevant to Roland Garros until Rome. Um, But yeah, what kind of storylines are you probably most interested in seeing Sort of what happens with those?
1: Iga, Iga, Iga. I think it's all about Iga. It's got to be the amount of advantages she has on that surface compared to the rest of the tour are infinite. I mean, she is a powerhouse on clear. You know, I'm not seeing anything that's that uh, surprising, but some people might be thinking the confidence is wavering a bit. You know, she's not playing quite as well. I don't think any of that matters, honestly. She, she, she hits the ground running on clear. Like She she will feel so at home. The amount of time she gets in the forehand, the fact that the serves just don't matter as much. I could see her beating any of the top players at the moment on that surface. Sabalenka in particular maybe could have been the next biggest threat, but probably Kuchikova, actually. Kuchikova is definitely. So if there's a rivalry there between Iga and Kuchikova, Nick, I'd love to see it on clay I think that would be fantastic. <laughs> She she wants a bit of revenge, Nick. That's two finals on the bounce, you know. Kudchikova is like starting to take Chouinard's name, so yeah, a French Open final between Iga and Kudchikova, Nick. send so me up for that. That's, I'm looking forward to that sort of story. I would
0: I would be up for that. I mean, the the women's RG finals been quite good over the last few years as a general rule. Iga versus Kudchikova could not even those at the park. Um, so I would be uh, well, I enjoyed them anyway. Don't make that face. Um, I uh, bands,
1: last year's was a wee, uh,
0: uh yeah, I enjoyed time. it as a good strong tech fan, yeah,
1: yeah, fair, fair. Uh, and <laughs> what was the one last year, the year before? Kachikova,
0: uh, Pavlovich, yeah, was
2: that a was a really good nervy, match. I got injured. Um, it was the end last year. I mean, especially yeah. the women's. I mean, was it only one player who? Even got a set of Shuante. Was it Kinwen?
0: Yeah, Zhang Qinwen. Yes. Yeah. yeah, right. That, that was, it was it. Was, uh, it was
2: one-way traffic, especially in the final. Um, and Coco Golf is such a nice matchup for Iga, especially on clay. So there's that. Um, I other than Kritchikova, I cannot think of any other player really who can like match uh, Iga strength to strength on the surface. Really, like as for, if there's someone who can spring upset, Sure, there. Are, you know, some players, considering Iga is more vulnerable at right now than she was last year. Uh, but other than that, yeah, I mean, who knows? It probably depends on RG title. Uh, has that happened? I mean,
0: look, she, she or, is more, like, more vulnerable in some ways. Like, obviously, she's not got the same kind of momentum as she had compared to the beginning of 2022. Um, what I will say is, is that she can look at the results that she's had and kind of look at some mitigating circumstances. Um, I would say that if she's, fully fit she has every reason to still be confident and look if she loves clay she loves clay and uh, look the only loss she's had in the last uh, like year or so has been caroline garcia who I would argue was just playing amazingly well in that warsaw match so um yeah yeah. um i would i would say that i would agree with everything that's been said that um it's going to be all about watching Ega and how she is and if she's she's fit she's firing she's going to win uh pretty much anything she's in
2: yeah, I mean that's the storyline across the tour, um, and especially on clay, um, you know that that's not really in doubt. Um, I, I'm really interested to see how Sabalenka does. Much like um, how we spoke about Medvedev, probably the best form he, uh, he is in entering the clay season. Sabalenka at least has a big title on clay, albeit in Madrid. We all know that, especially on the you know, you know WTA tour, you have a tournament on green clay, you have another tournament. In Madrid, yeah, Stuttgart as well, which from what I know is not really a good indicator as to how players will fare on surfaces like Rome or, you know, at RG. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, she has won Madrid. That match against Barty again, I remember watching that. There was a really good performance from her. Um, But then we are seeing such performances in a more consistent fashion now. She is in in a good space mentally, Uh, picked up an injury in Miami. I hope she's fine. She had to pull out of Charleston. Um, but yeah, I th- this is the only slam at the moment where she's not made the semifinal. Uh she's not made it past the third round. Um Rabakina is another player, definitely more comfortable than yeah. Sabalenka on the surface. But you know, I would like to see a big result on the other tournaments from her as well.
0: Yeah. yeah, I'd put Rabakina's name out there as a as a contender, at least to go deep in a lot of these clay tournaments. She doesn't mind clay, she's had some good results on it, she's a quarter finalist around Garros. Um. Yeah, I I would say that she, I'm I'm expecting her to kind of continue the momentum she's built up from the beginning uh, of this season and her two finals in the Sunshine Double.
1: Yeah, fair. I've got uh, my wish list. I guess it's not storylines that are guaranteed to happen by any means, Nick. But if I have three. Wish list items for the clay season. I'd love to see Owens doing some damage again. Definitely could happen. She's about 50-50 against like any opponent, if not the underdog on hard courts. But as soon as she gets to any natural surface, you see her in full flow. And I love seeing Ons Schubert in full flow. I'd love to see Maria Sacri win any title, whatever she needs to do to scrape and scrap her way to a trophy. We'll see it could happen. She's pretty good on Clay. And I'd love to see Ludmila Samsonova take a big scalp over somebody, but that's unlikely to happen on clay. But it could. She did really well at Stuttgart last year. She had that match against SwanTech during her crazy streak where she pushed her to like seven five in the third. Like the only person who came close to beating her for about four months or something.
2: So who knows? So what <laughs> do we one. think of uh, <laughs> Pagula and Anjuba? Um
0: Pagula on clay. Um. Suits her, um, more or less. I mean, she's a Madrid finalist. I could see her, again, she'll go deep wherever she can. Like, it, it takes a good player on a good day to beat her most tournaments. So I would expect to see her as in the mix, maybe not necessarily winning against, especially not against Fiontech. Um That matchup yeah. very much favours I don't want that matchup, please.
1: Like, any top 10 player, I think, so I think beats Puglia Longley. Yeah, unless it's Madrid, it's really, you know, it does help for flat balls. But generally, it game against any top-ten player on this surface. Yeah, as, long long as
2: well, another player who spoke about Madrid and how those results don't really mean much, you know, going to Rome and especially RG, that's like but, the biggest tournament. But uh, I... she
0: did reach the Rome final last year. and oh, know, yeah, and she, she lost. Yeah, she, she did
2: make the final. She lost, I think, the, the net in the, the first round at RG. Uh, 7-5 in the third. Um, so, I, I mean, the only reason I have a question mark there is because is she healthy to, healthy enough at this moment? To... Well,
0: she literally just won a match in Charleston. Okay, her opponent pulled out, retired, but she's now in the semifinals oh, okay. in Charleston. I mean, that's a, so that's that a helps. It's a good result.
2: Her. You know, she did beat, uh, I think, Surenko in the first round. I don't know who she beat in the second. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, that, that helps for sure. Um, she does have quite a bit of points to defend. Uh, over the course of the crazy season. Again, th- going back to Sabalenka and, you know, the chance that she has to probably become number one um, this season, Ega takes defending a boatload of points. And I mean, quite likely to defend most of it if she's healthy, right? Um, but as far as Sabalenka is concerned, the only way for her is up during the next, you um, know, um, few months, no, she lost all of her Wimbledon points, um, semi final points. Um, so she has a lot up for grabs, and that every bit helps for her. Um, and I do think she will get to number one this year, especially because of what happened um, in the Sunshine Double. And obviously, um, Dubai or Doha, whichever way you want to look at it, Iga won Doha last year and lost early in Dubai. She didn't defend all of those points this year. Um, or I think she gained points during that my bad. She did win Doha and make the final in Dubai last year. She lost early in Dubai and won Doha, so definitely, I think uh, probably, um, I don't know, maybe I can't do math anymore, but um, either way, yeah, she has a lot to defend uh, from now until the US Open and Sabalenka, not as much. Ribakina, you know, it's, it would be pretty jarring to not see her in the top four um, soon. As well, mm-hmm. like of her being number seven still doesn't sit so well with me. Uh, Grand Slam champion, uh, finalist—you know, having won Indian Wells, made the final in Miami. Like not been ranked higher than seven, that just seems bizarre. We know why, but it seems bizarre. So I just hope she has better results um, during this clay season.
0: Yeah, that would be nice to see. All right, I think we've had a, a good talk. I think we'll uh, we'll wrap up this episode there. Um, Thanks so much uh, to my usual coach, Shrihi, and thank you so much, Jack, for coming on and uh, talking about um, what we're looking forward to and uh, getting the popcorn ready for whatever's to come uh, in uh, the next few weeks. So nice little um,
2: there.
0: <laughs> go, go subscribe to Popcorn Tennis, have a look and see what articles we've got coming up and uh, keep subscribed to us. Uh, we'll be reviewing Monte Carlo when that's done. We've also got another special episode about um atp next gen in the works um so um we'll speak to you then take care everyone
1: thanks very much guys thank you